I am so excited to be here, my Eastridge family, and uh, we are continuing the, the, the series questions Jesus asked, and so we're going to look at a question today. But I want to ask you a question. Um, have you ever been stuck somewhere? And whether it's like maybe you've gotten a truck stuck in the mud. Anyone ever done that? Like, that's embarrassing, y'all. Like, your truck stuck in the mud. Maybe you've been stuck, like, uh, in a building or locked out of your house. That happened to me once. It's not fun. It's, uh, it's embarrassing. Um, so have you, ever, have you ever been stuck? Uh, my daughter, Katie, is five years old. And uh, during our, you know, the one o'clock hour at our house, it's quiet time. Okay? So we do naps and everything. But Katie, being five years old, she has decided that she is old enough to not need a nap. I'm like... I'm like, daughter, like, I, if, if I was you, if, I, if someone told me to go into my room and be quiet for like two hours, I would say, thank you. Because like nap time is just like a gift from heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, can I get an amen? So there, you're my people and we come to the early service. So um, anyway, so she's decided that she doesn't need a nap. And so we're like, okay, you just, just play in your room quietly. And that's our, that's our rule. It's like, listen, you be quiet. You don't open the door, okay? Because you don't know how to do the door, like the, the door quietly, you know? So don't open the door. Don't close the door. Don't just stay in your room and, and read books and color. Um, and just, I'll see, we'll see afterwards, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So anyway, I, one, one particular day, uh, we're doing quiet time, and I'm working from home on that day, and so I'm downstairs, and I'm working uh, just in our chair, and um, so it's, it's just really quiet. The whole house is quiet, which is rare. Family of uh, with four kids now, it's rare for that to happen, but um, so I'm working, and uh, it's quiet, and I, hear, I can hear Katie shuffling around in her room and, you know, just doing whatever she's doing, and then it gets quiet for a little bit. I don't hear anything. And so I'm like, okay. So after, after a few minutes, I finally hear some struggling. I hear, and I hear like a little bit of like a whimper. And, and I can tell she's, Katie is struggling with something. And I don't know what, but it, her, her voice is a little muffled. So I'm like, I think I need to go check on her. So I, I go up the stairs and it's quiet and uh, she's not in her room. Um, so the, uh, the laundry room is, is right next to her room, and so the light's on, and I go in, and behind the, the laundry, the, the washing machine, all I see is this head and these big old round eyes looking at me, and she, like, the big round, like, she's, like, terrified. Uh, she, she had somehow, wet, like, gotten herself in the, like, back behind, in between the washing machine and the wall. Like, who, who thinks to go get themselves in that spot. But she's in that spot, and I'm, and, I, and I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm like, what are you doing? So uh, she couldn't get out. She, she was stuck. So I'm like, I, I lift her up, and she, she gets out, because like, it's too narrow for her to like, be able to climb out. She's just she's stuck in that position. And my first question is, like, what are you doing? Apparently, like her lucky fuzzy sock fell back in the crack or something, and she was trying to go get it because that's her special sock or something like that. And so it's like, okay, listen, don't don't do that. Like, what if it had been on and the spin cycle was on and it was like rocking back and forth, like you know, and I'm, all these thoughts are going through my head. And but looking back on that, looking back on that moment, I wonder, 
Why didn't you call for help? If you were stuck, why didn't you call for help? And I think if I had put myself in her shoes, I think I would have been embarrassed. She knows that the rule for a quiet time is that we don't make noise. She wasn't in her room, so she was probably afraid that she was going to get in trouble. And so she didn't call for help. Maybe she didn't even think that she, that, that, that wasn't even an option. I've got myself in this mess. I'm going to get myself out. And if I can't, I'm just going to stay here and struggle and be frustrated until, I don't know. Why didn't she call for help? Have you ever been stuck and you didn't know how to get out? Whether you've been stuck in a sin or maybe you've been stuck in a toxic relationship or maybe even a sinful relationship? Have you ever been stuck uh, in a job? Have you ever been stuck in a financial standing? Not knowing where the next uh, paycheck is going to come from, or, or, and you're not quite sure how to get out? One of the reasons why I think we stay stuck sometimes, maybe we're embarrassed, too embarrassed to ask for help, Maybe we don't even know who to ask or how to ask for help. Maybe we're afraid because we know we're stuck in some place we shouldn't be in in the first place. Maybe we're too comfortable. Maybe we're stuck where we are, but even though I want to get out, even though I want to be rescued, even though I want to be healed, even though I want to change, it's too comfortable where I'm at. Enough for me to actually get help and get out and get un stuck. So how do we change? How do we heal? How do we become free and and get out of our stuck situations? Well, today we're going to look at a story of a man who is stuck in more ways than one. And we're going to look at the question that Jesus asks him. And it's a question that reveals more about the man than you might think. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the gospel of John we're going to look at, at this story of a, of a man who's been stuck. And so uh, I'm going to read. There's Bibles in your seat backs if you want to pull those out. But I'm going to, we're going to read through this story. And we're going to look at a couple of things from this story that show us a little bit about what it means to be stuck, or where we put our hope, and how to get free, true freedom, true healing, true restoration through Jesus. So let's look at this story, okay? This is in John chapter 5. All right. Now, I'm going to be in verse 1. We're just going to go through this and read through this together, okay? Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, okay? Now, backstory real quick. The pool of Bethesda. This pool, uh, the tradition was that uh, this pool, every once in a while, would get stirred up or, or, and bubble up. And the, the, the belief was that an angel came down and got in the pool and stirred up the pool. And so that if you were the first one to be in the pool while the angel was coming and stirring up the waters and bu- causing it to bubble up, if you were the first one, then you'd be healed. You'd be cured. Now, I don't know 
if there was actually weight to that tradition. I don't know if people actually were or were not healed, but that's what they believed. And so what we see is this man sitting beside the pool along with a bunch of other people, and that's why they're there. They believe that this pool has some type of ability to heal them if they can get there in time. So verse 3, crowds of sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they lay on the porches. Now, one of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years, okay? A lot of times scripture, scripture portrays this person as, because he's not able to get into the water, the scripture portrays this person as being paralyzed, maybe from the waist down. But for 30 eight years. I'm 32. I can't imagine being in a, 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 in a situation or a sickness or an illness like that for that long. This guy must have been miserable. And how long do you hold on to hope if you've been in that situation for 38 long years? I don't know how long he was at the well, but that's how long he's been sick. For 38 years, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? And that's the question that I just want us to think about for a second. That question, would you like to get well? Why would Jesus ask that question? I mean, it seems kind of obvious, right? If this man is laying here, if he's been in this situation for 38 years and he's trying to get into this pool, why would Jesus ask this obvious question? Would you like to get well? Of course I'd like to get well. I'm here, aren't I? Sitting by this pool. Thing is, when Jesus asks a question like this. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he, he knows the answer, but Jesus doesn't ask a question because he wants to know the answer or because he doesn't know. Jesus asks a question because he wants us to know what he already knows. So when Jesus asks this man, would you like to get well? What is it that Jesus already knows about this man that he wants him to know now? I think Jesus realizes that this man is putting his hope in the wrong place. Because think about the question. This man has been laying here for all these years. Would you like to get well? Because do you know what being well means for you, for this man it means you have to enter back into society. It means now you're expected to work for what you're given and work to eat. No longer are you going to lay by this pool and, and have a victim mentality or, or reach, reach out for handouts or, or ask people to help you. No. Do you understand what it's going to mean for you to be well? And I think Jesus realized this man was putting his hope in the wrong place, which is why he says this, okay? So uh, Jesus asked the man, would you like to get well? And the man says this, verse 7, I can't, sir, a sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. 
You ever just found yourself making excuses? Like, I, I'm, I'm a professional excuse maker. I have to work really hard to not make excuses. I'm always blaming it on someone or something, at least in my mind. I have no one to help me into the water. But what does Jesus do? He says, uh, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I have no one to help me in the water. There's a scene in uh, The Chosen. I don't know if anybody here has seen The Chosen. It's a newer uh, TV show series uh, about the life of Jesus. And uh, in the second season, one of the episodes is all about this scene, about this man uh, beside the pool. And so I love this scene. It's so powerful. Jesus walks up to this guy and he says, uh, do you want to be healed? And really what Jesus is asking when he asks that is, do you want to be whole? The first thing the man does is he gets excited and, he's, and you know what he does? He looks at the pool. He goes, are you going to help me get into the water? Jesus says, no. And Jesus asks him, you know, do you, do you want to be healed? And the man goes into the, what we just read. He starts listening off these excuses and he keeps looking at the pool. No one helps me and, and people get in front of me and I have no one here to, to, to just help me just a little bit to get what I need to get to the pool. And the whole time he's, he's, he's saying these things, he keeps looking at the pool and eventually Jesus just stops him and says, look at me. From that point on, the man locks eyes with Jesus, fixes his eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Jesus said to him, you are here by this pool, but this pool is nothing. It means nothing, and you know it. And tears start welling up in the man's eyes. Yet you're still here. Why? The man begins to cry and sob. He says, I don't know. This pool is nothing for you. Jesus said, you don't need this pool. All you need is me. So let's go. The man gets up, takes his mat, and he walks. For you and I, we have to remember our hope is not a pool. Okay? Our hope is a person, Jesus. How often do you find yourself thinking, if I can just get a little bit more money, we'll be fine, we'll be set. If I could just get a little bit extra to help with these medical bills, or, or if I could just get a little extra to get ahead, I could start saving. If God would just answer this prayer just, and, just, and just heal my, my kid, or heal my, my mom, or my dad, or, or my spouse, if... If I could just have that, if I could just, if, he, if I could just have the car that won't keep breaking down, if I could just have, if God could just do, if there could just be a little bit more, if I was just a little bit stronger, and we find ourselves putting our hope in the pool, in the thing. You may even be asking God for the thing, but you may be putting too much hope and stock and faith in God doing the thing and God providing the healing and God providing the finances and God providing whatever it is that you're asking him for and hoping for. Maybe we are putting too much hope in the pool when really our hope is supposed to be 
in Jesus. Because Jesus promised us that we'd have trouble in this life. And Jesus wants to provide those things. He wants to answer those prayers. But he doesn't always. I want to give you an example of what it looks like to put too much hope in the healing and not enough hope in the healer. Because if you put too much hope in the healing and what God provides instead of in God, you will relapse, okay? You will fall back into the same stuck mindset that you were in before. The same thing would happen to this man. If Jesus healed him and went on his way, but he didn't have a heart change, he was going to fall back into the same victim mentality, the victim mindset that he was stuck in before. So I want to read you an example of kind of what this looks like. Uh, this, this book is, this is Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. This is by Annie Dillard. Um, really, this is uh, poetry in prose form. This uh, Annie Dillard wrote about a year she spent in Virginia living in this house and uh, just her observations about nature and the beauty of nature and just all these different things that she sees on a grand scale and also on a microscopic scale. And so in one chapter, she talks about the concept of sight, the concept of seeing. And she finds this book that she reads. And so uh, this is going to be weird, but I'm reading a book where the author is talking about a book that she read. Got it? Okay, I just want you to get confused, okay? So she's, she reads this book, and I have, I have the title if you want it. It's, uh, what's the name of the book? It's called, it's by Marius von Senden. It's called uh, Space and Sight. Now, and the book is about uh, how surgeons, when the, uh, the ability to remove cataracts, how they began going through Europe and America and performing these surgeries, uh, so that people could actually see. And so what's happening is people that were born blind with these cataracts and have known nothing else other than a life of blindness, now they can all of a sudden see and the reactions and responses are amazing. And so I want to read to you. She's making observations about a couple of the ways that people respond. All right, so this is what she says. A disheartening number of patients refuse their new vision. They refuse to use their sight. Isn't that amazing? They continue to go over objects with their tongues and they're lapsing into apathy and despair. Because living by sight is harder than living by blindness. Is that hard to imagine? The child can see, she quotes, but will not make use of his sight. Only when pressed can he with difficulty be brought to look at objects in his neighborhood but more than a foot away, it is impossible to bestir him to the necessary effort to actually use his sight. A 21-year-old girl, the doctor talks about, he says her unfortunate father had hoped so much for, uh, from this operation. He wrote that his daughter carefully shuts her eyes whenever she wishes to go about the house especially when she comes to a staircase. And she is never happier or more at ease than when, by closing her eyelids, she relapses into her formal state of total blindness. If your hope is in the operation and not in the healer, you're going to set yourself up for failure because the things of this world, this body, this food that we eat, this, this money that we make, this family that we love, they will let you down if that's where you're putting your hope. 
Some do learn to see, especially the young ones, but it changes their lives. It changes their lives. Some delight in their sight and give themselves over to the visual world. One 22-year-old girl was dazzled by the world's brightness and kept her eyes shut for two weeks just because it was overwhelming. But at the end of that time, when she opened her eyes again, she did not recognize any objects. Okay, she just threw herself into this world of vision, being able to see for the first time, even, she, even though she had no idea what was going on and she was dazzled by the brightness around her. She did not recognize any objects, but the more now she directed her gaze upon everything about her, okay, the more she stopped focusing on, I used to be blind, I used to live this way, and she started focusing on the trees, the flowers, the largeness of, of a home or a city, when she started focusing on the world around her, the more it could be seen, okay, how an expression on her face of gratification and astonishment overspread her features. In other words, she, she gave herself over to this new life and slowly as she began to see God's creation, what happened? It changed her. You could see it on her face. She repeatedly exclaimed, oh God, how beautiful. When your hope is in the healer and you allow him to heal you, not just whatever he provides, whether it's physical healing or, but if you allow him to change your heart and make you whole, you begin looking around in awe and wonder, you fix your eyes on Jesus, you exclaim, oh God, how beautiful. Jesus knew that this man was putting his hope in the wrong place. And so he heals the man, but then later on, when he finds this man again, what he says to him is so important, okay? I want us to see this, okay? Let's finish up this passage. All right, Jesus told him to stand up and walk, to take up your mat in verse nine. Instantly the man was healed, okay, because Jesus is good like that. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man uh, who was cured, you, don't, you, don't work, uh, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, I've been this way for 38 years. Who cares? I'm walking. No, that's not what he said. That's probably what he felt. <laughs> he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, okay, I don't know how, how long afterward, but afterward, Jesus finds this guy again. And it says this. He found him in the temple and told him, now that you are well, now you are well. Okay, so stop sinning. Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Some scholars may, may debate whether or not this man was leading a life of sin or maybe even uh, if he was, maybe even this life of sin caused this illness or I don't, I don't know, but what I do know is this. I think at the heart of what Jesus is saying is that it's better to be sick 
for 38 years than to live a life of sin. In other words, the consequences and the results of a life of sin is worse than living your whole life with a physical ailment. Jesus is saying, hey, dude, you're looking great. You're walking. But where are you walking? Are you walking towards the Father? Or are you walking away from the heart of the Father? Because Jesus wants us to realize, okay, Jesus cares more about our holiness than our happiness. Okay, Jesus wants good things for for his children, okay? He doesn't want us, I I don't believe, I, I don't believe he wants us to be sick. He doesn't want the world to be a broken place where we have to wonder where we're going to get our next meal or we have to struggle with uh, sickness and, and hardship and brokenness. But he cares more about your, your, your heart than the healing. He cares more about your wholeness, your holiness, than about your happiness. Happiness all that stuff, that's, I mean, that's what heaven's for, okay? We're going. We're going to be there eventually. But in this life, God can use even our brokenness for his glory. Mandy Harvey is a jazz musician. Uh, I've gotten to meet her a few times. And uh, she, uh, when she's not touring, she... Uh, she leads worship, worship at the church I used to work at back in Florida. Uh, the amazing thing about Mandy is that she, uh, she's got perfect pitch. Okay? She went to uh, the University of Colorado uh, for a music scholarship, probably a, uh, specializing in jazz. But the amazing thing about Mandy, she's totally deaf. Her father uh, is a professor, was a professor at the, school, where, at the college I went to, and so her father told the story of when she was going deaf. She was already at school. She began to lose her hearing. He told the story of the, them together sitting in the truck, and they're talking in the truck, and she looks at him, and she says, Papa, I can't hear your voice. I can't remember what your voice sounds like. This girl, with perfect pitch, with all these hopes and dreams and aspirations, was losing the very thing she needed to do what she loved to do. Her mother explained uh, to something to us once. See, she's, like I said, she leads worship at our church, and actually, was there was a time where we sang the song that we just sang, the song about the miracles. Well, one of the verses in the beginning of the song says, you made the deaf to hear. Mandy won't sing that song, but it's not why you might think. Her mom explained it once that she won't sing that song because God's already healed her. You see, Mandy has learned how to overcome the disability and turn it into a strength. (laughs) She's learned how to sing and and work with the band. Whenever she performs, she's always barefoot so she can hear the rhythm of the drums through the stage. She even got to a point where she was on America's Got Talent and made it really deep into the later rounds of the show 
See, God was using her and her story. God used her disability and her illness. But Mandy's hope, even I don't, I don't know if she prayed for God to heal her, 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 her hearing. She probably did. But her hope was not in the healing. Her hope was in the healer. And as a result, God used her and is still using her. She's an amazing testimony to where we should put our hope. Because if we put our hope in this life, in this body, man, my body's already starting to fail me, y'all. <laughs> I'm getting old. If we put our hope in the things of this world, we're going to be disappointed. God cares more about our heart than the healing. So that's the question I have for us this morning. Same question Jesus asked. Would you like to get well? Because if you do, it is going to mean that everything changes. Your life changes. You no longer are a victim, you are victorious. You are no longer weak, you are strong. Maybe not even in your body, but in the Lord. You walk in newness of life. And it's so much better than any type of miracle or, or blessing that God can give us. Do you want to get well? Because Jesus is offering something even better, okay? He's offering for us to be whole. So, if so, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Get up, take your mat, and let's go. We're gonna sing one more song. Uh, and I want you just to focus on the words that we sing, okay? We're gonna sing that, that verse that talks about God making us whole, okay? I want, you to, I want that to be your prayer this morning. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing together. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you that your son came not just to heal the sick, but to heal our hearts and to save the world. Father, it's so easy, and I fall into this all the time, Lord, it's so easy to fix our eyes on what's right in front of us and to put our hope in, in finances, in health, in, in provision, to put our hope in just, Lord, the things that are going to fade away. Lord, help us, even if we do come to you for those things, help us to remember that our hope is in you. It's not in the blessing. It's not in the healing. Lord, our hope is in the healer. Lord, give us the strength to let go, to open our eyes and to truly see you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.